All right, it's time. Uh, one more quick hello from Brian. There we go. Uh, so, Brian, good morning. I think you're in Wellesley as well. It's time to get into our navigating forward. I thought I was going to be done last week. Ha! I'm not. I got two more because as I was going and working on this last night, I thought, okay, I want to get, I want to make sure this is totally done before Easter and then be able to uh, address Palm Sunday when Palm Sunday comes. So the next two weeks, we're, we're finishing next week, but I think this week, last week was pretty good. Uh, I think this week's and next week's is going to be really important for your soul. Uh, for being reminded of identity because we've been talking through all these uh, strategic foundations that shape our decisions, shape our attitudes, and uh, today we're going to talk about identity. Before we get into identity, because it's St. Patrick's Day this week, I thought let's let's do a quick update on St. Patrick because not everybody is familiar with St. Patrick and uh, um, what what the story is about. And it's just going to be quick, but I, I thought, hey, let's uh, explore a tradition that's not in our heritage, but there are some of you uh, watching that you do have the heritage of celebrating St. Patrick's Day or acknowledge the saint. So St. Patrick was born at Kilpatrick near Dumbarton in Scotland in AD 387. Not in Ireland. He was not born in Ireland. So if you have the last name Kilpatrick, I know somebody who does. There you go. Ha ha. Um, his parents belonged to a Roman family of high rank and held the office in Gaul or Britain. That's what Gaul was called before it was called Britain. His father was a deacon and his grandfather was a priest. His parents' faith didn't find a place in his heart early. In his youth, according to George Hunter, he lived toward the wild side, whatever that means. Note, not Irish, but a British Celt. At age 16, he was sold into slavery by a group of Irish marauder pirates that raided his village and took him to Ireland. During his captivity, he came closer to God. He learned their language and their culture. So six years. I think that his job was a shepherd, I think. Um, he escaped from slavery six years uh, after six years and went to Gaul, where he studied in the monastery under St. Germain, Bishop of Axirur, for a period of 12 years. Now, keep in mind, um, he heard a voice. This is at least what the story says, or a legend says. He heard a voice telling him uh, what to do one evening, which helped him escape. So... He calls it God. God spoke to him, said, here, do this. Uh, I'm going to help you get out of here. And so then he studies for 12 years uh, in the church. His wishes were to return to Ireland to convert the native pagans to Christianity. Now, the word pagan, don't forget, it just, it's just a term or um, heathen is another one. I think our Grounds and Grace group talked about this, which is kind of cool. Um, but the idea of pagan or, or heathen just means somebody not cultured in a particular faith. So the Muslims use those words, Christians use the words, uh, you name it. There's a lot of religions that use the term pagan or heathen. Uh, it's not a good word. I think it shouldn't be used. But anyway, there it is. Um, uh, his superiors instead uh, appointed St. Paulidas. Uh, two years later, Paulidas transferred to Scotland, and Patrick, having adopted that Christian name earlier, was then appointed as second bishop to Ireland. At 48, his mission in Ireland lasted for approximately 30 years. Uh, after that time, Patrick retired to County Down and died March 17th in A.D. 461. He died at Saul, buried in Downpatrick near Belfast. 
just kind of a cool little history. That's why March 17th is St. Patrick's Day. Uh, the British leaders were offended and angered that Patrick was spending priority time with the pagans, the sinners, the barbarians. But Patrick knew such an approach had good precedent. The one who saved him while a nominal Christian and an Irish captive was once called a friend of tax collectors and sinners and said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So he was inspired by that. In a strange and beautiful turn of providence, he had spent six years among them as a captive, learned their language, and developed a heart for the Irish. Just like Joseph being sold into slavery to one day save Egypt and his brothers in Genesis 50 verse 20, so God sent Patrick into slavery to ready Ireland for a coming salvation. Isn't that cool? I, don't, I love these really cool connections. Um, that was awesome. The shamrock, well, um, there's, a, there's conflicting evidence that he really did use the shamrock, but there's enough traditional evidence that says, hey, um, it was the uh, one traditional icon of this day is the shamrock. This stems from the more bonafide Irish tale that tells, tells how Patrick used the three-leafed shamrock to explain the Trinity, which is cool. He used it in his sermons to represent how the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit could all exist as separate elements of the same entity. Greenleaf, a symbol of eternal life, his followers adopted the custom of wearing a shamrock on his feast day. While the day has become a celebration of all things Irish, the original feast was about the gospel advance. It was not about the parades, but pioneering the church among the unreached people. It was not about lifting Lenten restrictions on eating and drinking, but bringing God's amazing grace to a pagan nation. This is powerful. In fact, uh, I think what I read was that the first parades didn't happen in Ireland at all. It happened in the United States, either in Florida or New York. Who knows? There's conflicting evidence on that too. But there weren't big parades back then. Uh, not at all. But this was about the gospel coming to people. Now, wouldn't it be cool if today St. Patrick's celebrations would be about the gospel? That'd be really cool. All right. Time to get into navigating forward. Uh, part five, um, which is now going to be several parts, uh, addendums to this, um, is about not forgetting who you are, a reminder of who you really are, your identity. And that's what I want to get into today. So get ready. You're, you, don't try and write this down. It's going to go way too fast. Um, but the content is going to be rich. This is about your mind remembering what is really true. And if your mind doesn't have it stored in there, we're going to store it in there today. We need some encouragement today. We need good news. And uh, I came across an incredible uh, post um, from Brittany Moses and Dr. Carolyn Leaf. If you don't know who they are, look them up. Uh, really value their work and their conversations. So here's what they wrote about identity, because this is, this is a really important. The importance of separating your identity from your experiences. And here's what they wrote. You are a human being first, inherently beloved and bearer of God's image. Stop there. That is the core. That is your identity, not your experiences, not your feelings. With a dynamic of experiences that may have certainly shaped you into the person you are, but they are not the complete definition of you. You're not a failure. You're learning. And we're all learning as we go. You're not depression. 
You're having the human experience of depression, perhaps, but you are not depression. You are not anxiety. You're having an experience with anxiety. You are not unlovable. You had an experience with rejection with the wrong person whose choices were never a reflection of you. You are not your trauma. You've experienced some things that weren't your fault, and yet you're learning how to heal forward. You are also resilient, resourceful, creative, compassionate, a daughter, mother, sister, friend, brother, father, a professional, an advocate, chosen, worthy, purposed, you name it. You're all these. That's a better reflection of your true identity. But shame often likes to leave those parts out of the picture. What we feel is real, and it's valid. And sometimes it can even feel overwhelming. But our thoughts and feelings change constantly. So they were never the source of who we are. No matter how much shame wants to swallow our story and write the script. So we're reframing our language. Even if we have to remind ourselves every single day when our feet hit the ground. I love that. Oh my goodness. Your true identity. Well, let's get into it. What is your true identity? Where does it begin? Well, uh, oh yeah, I forgot about this. Identify your feelings, but know your feelings are not your identity. And we've talked about this at Hope Fellowship too, that your, your feelings usually flow from what you're thinking about. This is how it works. You know, you're in a scary movie watching a, a, a movie that has a moment of startling you. And you go, ah, are you really in danger? No, you're not. But your, your intake, your thinking is perceiving and, and your body reacts to these things. Well, let's begin with the most important foundational truth of your identity. Christ lives in you. Now, when, when I found this out, I think it's almost 20 years ago, just over 20 years ago. That Christ literally lived in me. I grew up believing Christ was with me, as in beside me. And get this, okay, this is going to be funny. Um, when I was good, you know, God was with me and near me. But when I was bad or misbehaved, God was far from me. That's what the church told me. The church told me that, you know, if you go to a bar, God has to wait outside until you're done. Like, how dumb is that? But I believed it because I had no other um, way to understand Christ in me. Nobody really shared with me Christ in you, the hope of glory. So, well, Colossians 1.27, this is it. This is the going for the jugular. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you the assurance of sharing his glory. The Passion Translation reads it like this. <clears throat> Living within you is the Christ who floods you with the expectation of glory. This mystery of Christ, embedded within us, becomes a heavenly treasure chest of hope, filled with the riches of glory for his people. And God wants everyone to know it. Well, it's been told in the time of this writing that the Jews were the ones that had all the favor of God. And here... It's saying, no, 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 no. This is for you Gentiles too. Christ 
lives in you. Gentiles are non-Jews. That's all that means. But my goodness, this is where we begin. If you've lost all faith, if you're deconstructing, you've been led down a difficult path, you've been hurt, somebody's hurt, you've got difficult family dynamics or uh, difficult relationships with siblings, parents, kids, you name it. Uh, the core that we need to focus back to is Christ in us. This is where we need to center on. Not our problems. Come back to the core of our identity. Well, it's not only Christ is in us, but we are in Christ. God is not absent from us. I, like I said, I grew up believing that when I'm good, God's close. When I'm bad, sin repels him because God can't handle sin. He hates sin so much that he can't handle sin. So I thought that when I am sinning, I am repulsive to God. Can you believe the thinking and the, the, the bouncing, the emotional roller coasters of, of being in churchianity? They meant well. I learned much. Okay, I can't, I have to be careful how I respond to my upbringing because the upbringing brought me to where I am. And I thank God for it. I've learned much from it. I now have a contrast. I also have some foundations that were good. It wasn't all bad, but this is important. To think that I am, um, uh, okay, so then if my behaviors are shameful and God's repelled by the behaviors, he's also repelled by me because I believed my identity was based on my activities and my doings, okay? This, this is just what I grew up with. This is what the church implied if they weren't blunt about it, and they, some were. I know some denominations are really blunt. You know, if you do this, you're, a, you're going to hell because of your behavior. Wait a minute. What if the scriptures show something better, wider, more beautiful? What if it's not true? What if it's a misunderstanding of some texts? Ha! Huh. Well, let's. I want to know about it then. That's why I'm sharing this with you. In fact, the message I'm sharing with you today and next week, this, this content, I want to teach everywhere, wherever I go for the rest of my life. I think there's too many people caught in, in religious baggage, in... Um, self-condemnation in uh, a, a depressed ego uh, because religion has pounded them into a small little hole saying you're no good you're not worthy and yet the gospel the good news is i've made you worthy you're good and so now i take a look at the vastness of christ because i thought christ was since christ was with me there was a uh, he was never in or connected to me there was still a separation and a conditional connection and it just wasn't true. Colossians 1, 15 to 17. This is really important. And you're going to hear me refer to this verse forever. Okay? And you already have. <laughs> so who is this Christ? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Here it is. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created. So where? For in him all things. All things. All of creation has been created where? Objectively. In Christ. That means everything that is created is in Christ. Things visible. Sorry, for in him all things were created uh, all things in heaven and on earth were created things visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers all things 
have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things. Here it is. And in him, all things hold together. This is big. Where's my hat? I have a hat that says this is big from Lorinda. <laughs> um, this is big. All right. You cannot miss this. Please, please, please take a picture of this or whatever. Uh, write down this verse. Come back later. This is an incredible verse that proves there's no such thing as separation. No one, no thing is separated from God. No, no one. Yeah, but what if they don't believe? They're still not separated. They just don't see it. They're blind to it. They're separate in their minds. That's where the separation happens is up here. Not actually, not objectively. It is an impossibility for anything or anyone to be separated from God. So don't begin with separation. Just like our, um, our tracks from way back when we did evangelism, we handed out little booklets to people, four spiritual laws, um, well-intended but wrong horribly wrong from the beginning saying you're a sinner and are separated by your from your from god because of your sin that's a lie and if you believe it you live the rest of your life like that i think that that lie was is a seed for a lot of depression today it's a seed for a lot of anxiety, a lot of spiritual anxiety. Is God good? Is he not? Does he love me? Am I good enough? Am I going to make it? It's all because of this dualistic separation theology. Let's begin with union. Let's begin with reconciliation, which we'll get to later. This is the gospel. God loves you and is connected to you. God created you. He's crazy about you. Huh. Colossians 1, 15 to 17, from the Passion Translation. I love this. This is the same text, but from another translation. It says, He is the divine portrait, the true likeness of the invisible God, and the firstborn heir of all creation. For in him was created the universe of things, both in the heavenly realm and on earth, all that is seen and all that is unseen. Every seat of power, realm of government, ouch, principality and authority, it all exists through him and for his purpose. He existed before anything was made, and now everything finds completion in him. Do you want to find your heritage? How many people go onto those DNA sites and try and find your, your lineage? I forget what it's called. Um, I can't think of it right now, but those those uh, DNA sites. Well, they're trying to find the roots. I'm giving you the greatest root that you can possibly find. It is in Christ. That's where you began and still exist. And so do the people around you. So does all of this creation. How does it work? I don't know. But this, what I'm reading to you, is amazing news. Oh, my goodness. You need some encouragement today? I hope you're hearing it. This is like super awesome. You are in Christ. John 14, 20. Here it is again. When I am raised to life again, which has happened, by the way, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, 
and I am in you. This is in John 14. This is before Colossians was written. This is before the cross. Can you believe this? This is before the cross. Some people like to point to the cross and then it all happened then and blah, blah, blah. New covenant and all that. And yes, new covenant, uh, There's the finished work of the cross has something to do with that. But what if the new covenant began sooner? What if it began even with Christ's baptism? What if that expression became and, and we've over-articulated it and, re, and don't realize there's a wider web cast on the finished work of the cross? That the effectiveness of the new covenant began sooner. Jesus spoke, preached the new covenant. All right? And here he says, when I am raised to life again. And by the way, the disciples didn't catch that. They totally didn't realize at that time that Jesus really, really, really was going to die. Because remember, they're, they're telling him, hey, you'll be fine. What are you talking about? And it wasn't until after he passed away and rose again that it all made sense. They connected the dots afterwards. But it says, you will know that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. Here's what's scary, folks. How long did it take for you to know that Jesus is in the Father and that we are in him and that Christ is in us? How long did it take for us to realize this truth? And there are people that are they're thinking they're super mature Christians. I did. I did. And I didn't know my identity. I didn't know Christ was in me. I didn't know I was one with Christ. I was in union. No one told me. Here it is. Black and white. Literally. Black and white on the screen. <laughs> Here's another great piece of information that we have to visit. And I've got a couple things on this. The, the idea of being reconciled. Now, it's a nice word. And what does it really mean? And we'll talk about the definition in a moment. But if you read carefully these words, if you hear this carefully, listen to the emphasis. It's, it, this could surprise you. Because I know growing up, I might have heard these verses, but it was read so quickly, just like a normal person who doesn't know how to properly read publicly and just read it flat. But I don't want to read this flat. I want to read this for the life that's in it. It goes like this. But God demonstrated or demonstrates his own love towards us. In that, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, so when did Christ die for us? When we were sinners, so to speak. And we'll talk about that word another time. Uh, not from our identity. This is, a, this is speaking of the blindness because they were prone to misbelieving sins, misbelieving how God sees you, what God says about you, and acting it out. But here, it's while we were blind. He died for us without even asking our permission. He did it out of love. Much more than, if that's so true, then now we're getting to the big one. Much more, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Now, we'll get into the, what that wrath of God thing means. It doesn't mean what you think it means. It doesn't mean God's shaking his fist angry at you, ready to throw a lightning bolt. But, oh, thank you, Jesus. Jesus just holding back the anger of God. No, no, no. That's not, that's not what it means. Wrath, the word literally means any intense emotion. This is, this is the word orge, okay? 
For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by or in his life. So this, again, get the context here. This is all happening while we're blind, that Christ died for us and reconciled us while we were enemies. What does the word enemies mean? Well, it it's not two ways necessarily, it can be, but it, it just needs to be one way, one way enemy. I can be mad at so-and-so and, -so and um, they're not mad at me at all. I can be mad at God and he's not mad at me, he's loving me. But I don't feel that. So I'm, I'm acting and believing from a place of thinking he's ticked. Therefore, I'm going to retaliate. Try driving. Anybody with a driver's license knows how that works, especially if you've been cut off or driven in a roundabout. And, you know, the way people go, you, we think people are, you know, intentionally cutting us off when they had no clue they did. And we're angry. We're, you know, popping our lights and honking the horn. Dumb idiot. Everybody is a bad driver but me. And they just go on their merry way. Do-do-do-do-do-do. No problem. <laughs> well, this is this is God loving us in while we were still blind and lost, not knowing we needed a savior. And he did it. And we have been saved. Do we still need to respond to it? Absolutely, yes. There's a great benefit when we respond. Okay? Um, I'm, I'm enjoying it. That's why we're, we're sharing the gospel, so people can respond to this good news. Because it's great. It'll change how people live and believe and treat each other. And Oh, my goodness. You've been reconciled. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself no longer counting people's sins against them and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation or in the young's literal translation he'll say and having put in us the word of the reconciliation so when did this all happen and where was god when this all happened, God the Father was in Christ on the cross. There was no abandonment or separation there either. Didn't happen. Not at all. And look at this. He's no longer counting people's sins against them. Hmm. Where else have we seen that? Second Corinthians, I think, uh, or the, the, the love chapter. You know, love is patient, love is kind. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Right here. God's not counting our sins against us. So what are we going to say God's mad at? If God's mad at the world, what is he mad at? Oh, their sin, all the bad things they're doing. No, he's not. These are his children. If he's going to be mad, God's going to be mad at those things that harm his children, that harm his creation. Have your kids ever been bullied? And uh, did you ever want to go beat up the bully for your kid and teach him a lesson? because <laughs> your the bully was harming your your kid well that's that's what this is like god's not mad at you he's mad at those things that harm us and there are many bullies called lies that harm our thinking that harm our perception of who god is harm our perception of ourselves because we can't see ourselves as christ sees us oh if we only could the healing that will come to our thinking, that will come to our relationships because we start to act out of a place of love and acceptance. 
<laughs> We've been reconciled. This is past tense. You don't have to get reconciled. We preach the reconciliation. Okay? Reconciliation from the Latin reconciliantio, whatever they call it. It's called reestablishing, reinstatement, restoration, renewal, reconciling, reconciliation. To reconcile means, listen, to recreate friendly relationships, which means they were friendly at one point. This is to recreate, reestablish. Okay? To make things compatible or consistent. So what was inconsistent and compatible? We could not believe that God was good. We thought we were separated, all right? Sin, blindness was harming us, and God made things compatible by taking away sin. This is the work Jesus did. This is the work of reconciliation. Do you ever think of it like this? It's like your uh, bank accounts. You, you take a look at the uh, net difference in credits and debits of financial account. Make sure the balances agree. It's called reconcile it. Make sure it's the same. And I love this. Conciliation means the action of bringing peace and harmony, the action of ending strife. This is a beautiful definition because this is what has happened. Past tense. Bringing peace and harmony. That's what reconciliation is. Peace has come. The angels declared it when they came to the shepherds. Peace on earth <laughs> to all. This is good news for all. It's happened. Oh boy. This is not just for those who say the prayer. This is not those who for the, just for those who can do church well or read the Bible well or think they can pray well. This, this is for everyone. Whether they believe or not, it's just when, when they hear how good this is, there isn't a condition attached to it. This, this is now a declaration of what has happened. It's a done deal. Believe it. Receive it. Similar word. Similar meaning. And when you do, everything changes. This is good news. I, I'm blown away by this content. This, this is, to me, is the most exciting foundation we can possibly take a look at and study. Don't forget your identity. Your behavior is not who you are. It's how you act based on what you're believing at any given time. That's it. There is, there's no other way to see this. God's amazing grace. Yep, it truly is amazing. <laughs> I love it. Uh-oh. All right, we're not we don't have time for this one. But forgiveness, that's this is a big one for me. Growing up, I didn't know I was forgiven. But I got some great great stuff. We'll finish this up next week for sure, okay? And even if it's not finished, it's finished because we got to get into Easter. <laughs> so let me see if I can uh get to the uh um I got to get to my one, the final slide here. See if I can find it fast enough. Oh, I got lots of, see, I got lots of slides that I still got to go. This is good news. All right, here we go. Well, thank you for participating today. I hope you were encouraged. I hope you heard something for your soul today. I hope the scriptures spoke, in fact, better than that. I hope the Holy Spirit spoke through whatever it is you heard through the scriptures or something I said or something having nothing to do with what was shared this morning through the music, even kids story. 
that God spoke to your soul and confirmed you're loved. He's crazy about you. There's nothing you can do to create a separation. Like nothing, like nothing, no thing. <laughs> Peace to you. Peace to all. I'm looking forward to this whole Easter thing coming up. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right. Uh, reminders. Uh, don't forget, we're doing our right after church Zoom call. So if you'd like to join us, send me a private uh, message on Facebook and I'll send you the link once we're starting. Those that are part of the Hope Fellowship family online, if you want to be part of our online emails as well, I'll send, just send us a message. We'll add you to the Friends of Hope Fellowship uh, on our list and we'll, you'll, we'll include you on our weekly updates. Um, it's not a lot of stuff, but it still keeps you connected. Um, including the links to the Zoom call and all that. Uh, donations, don't forget, if you've been encouraged, hey, support. Uh, the gospel is free, but getting it out is not. It costs money. Uh, so well, please consider doing that. That'd be awesome. And I think that's it. I'll catch you all next week. And I am looking forward to uh, finishing up this uh, great good news. All right, let's move on to this. Have a great week. We'll catch you on the Zoom call. Bye-bye.